0: Welcome to Sober Nation FM, a podcast network dedicated to sharing experience, strength and hope so that you may continue to live your best life of recovery. The Sober Podcast Network is brought to you by Sober Nation. Do you want to live a healthy, sober life? Sober Nation is the world's leading online recovery community. Find support, resources, stories of hope, and even an online treatment program at SoberNation.com. Live a happy life, be comfortable in your skin, and join the recovery movement. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Now enjoy today's episode.
1: I was just scared of withdrawal. I was scared of withdrawal, and I, I, I was scared of what life would be like without... The warm fuzzies that the drugs gave, I thought that the drugs were giving me, you know? But mainly, you know, with, with opiate addiction, it's you're literally your whole addiction is running away from that withdrawal.
2: That was Joanne Miller, and
0: this is The Share Podcast. It's time for The Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host...
2: Oh! Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Share Podcast. And today we have Joanne Miller joining us on the show. Joanne is a recovery advocate as well as a blogger. Her blog is called Holy Addiction, where she blogs about the growing opioid epidemic. And she also talks about her own battle with opioids and Suboxone, more importantly, She is about to celebrate a year clean from Suboxone and still battling with the withdrawals. So, if you are thinking about taking Suboxone to come off of your own heroin abuse, your own heroin addiction, or oxycodone addiction, then you don't want to miss this episode. Her story is a nightmarish journey through opioid abuse and the pharmaceutical industry's way of helping you kick your habit. It's really mind blowing. So let's dive into Joanne's story, but first, if you have not yet rated and reviewed The Share Podcast, please, one of the best ways to help support the show is to go to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a review, and that helps catapult us up the ratings on iTunes, which will make it easier for more and more people to find The Share Podcast. Now, in the past, many of you have asked, hey, oh, how can I help support the show? Well, I'm going to keep it simple for you. First... I want to thank the people who have sent us donations via PayPal. There are a few of you that still continuously send donations on a monthly basis, but we can always use more. So, on a weekly basis, I have over 5,000 listeners every week who listen to the Share podcast. So, if 100 of you guys would send me 5 bucks a month, that would completely support the show from beginning to end. So for those of you who have the wherewithal to send me five bucks, either PayPal or by Patreon, then please feel free to do so. We could really use the support. Also, when you're purchasing stuff on Amazon, there are those of you that are still clicking on the Amazon link on the Share Podcast website before doing their purchases on Amazon. But again, there are thousands of you listening. If each and every one of you could just remember To go to the share website, click on the Amazon button before you do your shopping, that is also going to make a tremendous difference for us financially. So I haven't been one to emphasize it in the past, right? But now we've got a solid listener base. I know you guys love the show. I know you guys get a lot out of it. There are those of you just like in the meetings that are newcomers, The money's tight, Keep listening. The show will always be for free. The Share Podcast Private Accountability Group will always be for free. But for those of you who can, kick in a couple of bucks. Help us out here. And not to forget the Share Podcast Private Accountability Group. Again, it's growing like crazy. Guys, go to the Share Podcast, www.thesharepodcast. Click on the button that says, join the Facebook private group. For those of you that are in the private accountability group, you know how vital and important that has become there's over 1,500 members in there. If you don't want to go to meetings, if you have problems connecting with people, if you need something more than just the podcasts and are not ready to cross over into meetings or some other structured program, then the Private Accountability Group is perfect for you. Jump in there, make comments, ask questions, or just read the posts. There are so many people out there that have the same questions that you have, all you have to do is just read those and then read all the follow-up answers and responses that come. And make sure to subscribe to my weekly newsletter so you know every single time a brand new episode is launched. And of course, if you have any questions, just email me, o oh, at sharepodcast.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. So now a quick message from our sponsors, and then on to the show. <laughs> Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. SoberNation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, SoberNation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www.soberNation.com. SoberNation.com. Sober Nation is putting recovery on the map. Hey, Joanne, thanks for joining us.
1: Heyo, thanks for having me. It's
2: great to have you on the show today. How are you feeling?
1: Pretty good. Nervous, a little nervous.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to be nervous about here. (laughs) All right. So, folks, today we have Joanne Miller joining us on the Share Podcast, and she is the founder of Holy Addiction and the Heroin Bulletin. After twenty years of opiate and benzo addiction, she is fighting for her life with almost a year clean from Suboxone. Her new passion is spreading awareness about the opiate epidemic our country is facing. Every day, she writes about her experiences and spreads awareness through her blog, Facebook, and other social media. She has two amazing sons and a supportive and a supportive husband and family. Did I get that about right, Joanne. Yeah, about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, all right. Excellent. So, Joanne, let's get started now. First of all, let's ta- take us into your normal daily routine, including recovery.
1: Okay. I, I literally spend all of my time on Facebook, on so- in social media. Um, I'm basically part of a, he- a movement, I guess you could say, in the recovery world. And what we're trying to do is um, I work with RJV, for- with, uh, with Reliance Treatment Center in Florida, and um, lots of other people rich walters just numerous people that are trying to change uh the way that people think about addiction you know the normies how they feel about it right uh and then also how us addicts feel about ourselves you know and what does that you know since i'm an addict what does that mean because uh rj i'll probably say his name a lot but um he always says you know that there's so many there's so many people out there that are in recovery that we have no idea who they are you know and they know it could be anyone anyone that you look up to you know they might be in recovery but they're too ashamed to come out and say it and if everyone that was actually in recovery came out and said it it would be you know pretty powerful yeah. So we we work real hard to do that. And what we do, what we're doing is we're on Silence Kills. It's a Facebook page. Uh, we're running like a, uh, it's almost like a TV station. And we're having people come out and tell their stories. People that have never told their stories, they do it live. And, you know, they can interact with the audience. Um, and it's real raw, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty of addiction, but then also showing what their successes are now. And it's been really amazing to watch. You know, and and the you know the recovery worlds, some of them like it, but you know the whole anonymity thing. There's you know there's a little bit of backlash.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, the, of of course. Uh, maybe right. you should have me on there.
1: Yeah, we should. I would love to have you.
2: All right, let's Please. do that. Let's map that out. I want to I want to be on your show.
1: Awesome, uh,
2: awesome. Yeah, I'm I uh I think that for for many of us, especially starting in the recovery movement, a lot of it was because we wanted to bring more awareness to this topic. And then as we progressed and as we moved into it, we realized how many people really need to hear this information. And also uh, you come into contact with the people that feel that anonymity, you have to preserve that anonymity, you have to keep things within the, the confines of a program. Uh, you know, however structured that may be. Um, But I think times are changing, that's for sure. I think there's a a lot more people that are not anonymous, that are loud and proud about their recovery, uh, their journey, and more than anything else, willing to help others, which is what we're doing. What we're doing right now is, you know, just having this conversation and airing it helps people. You know, we help thousands of people every day.
1: Yeah, and I hear hundreds of stories because we—I do this all day long, um, and I mean every day I hear something. It, it's just basically like going to a meeting, you know, um, and hearing a speaker meeting. Um, and every day I hear something that I needed to hear. You know, it's like going to church. You know, if anyone that is in recovery and you know practices certain—and see, I'm still scared to even say the stuff.
2: <laughs> say what? Go ahead. <laughs>
1: practices the 12 steps goes to meetings yes. whatever going to those meetings you know it's kind of like church for me anyways it always has been and um when you hear the minister speak you know it doesn't matter what you have what he talks about or what you have going on in your life you know it seems like every time he says something that was meant for you you know and that's how it is with meetings and these live videos and these pot in your podcast too
2: there's no question about it, and especially since, like, what you were saying here, even the hesitation you had for saying 12 Steps or yeah. Recovery or NA or A or whatever. I mean, I, I have a disclaimer at the end of the show because I don't promote it. I mean, I'm not right. promoting. Yeah, I'm not promoting it. Correct. I'm not promoting But my story is that Narcotics Anonymous saved my life, and the 12 exactly. Steps saved my life. I worked them. I did them. And, and my life is better today. With the spiritual principles and the values and, you know, just my ability to be a responsible human being on this earth to be a better father, be a better husband, um, better human yeah. being is all because, you know, I, I, I equate it all to the 12 steps. If I hadn't Absolutely. done it, yeah, if I hadn't worked it like I did then we we certainly wouldn't be having this conversation right now. No,
1: (laughs) no, no, we wouldn't. And I think that the the 12 steps can be good for even if you're not in in addiction. I mean, it's almost like a self-help program, really.
2: Yeah, I I I say that all the time. I say, man, this guy needs a program, right? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Normies, (laughs) you know, human beings today are just so – cutthroat and so Ah. self-centered and so fear-based and but at the same
1: time they can get hurt so easily it's so you know they're so tough and so hard but at the same time you know those smallest little pc comment you know just really sends them over the edge it's
2: it's yeah i just had somebody as a matter of fact hit me up on facebook and he was like hey man you know i just i just happened to, to notice that on your personal Facebook page and in the podcast, you never talk about politics, even in this climate right now where everybody is, you know, going bananas. Oh, right? good. That's probably why. And mm-hmm. I go, I go, man, you know, I, I separate church and state all the time. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, really. two things you don't discuss, right? Politics yes. and religion. <laughs> <laughs> we, I Religion's
1: will, safer now, much well, safer.
2: I was about to say, I'll discuss religion because I don't mind... I don't mind criticizing, you know, uh, you know, just certain structured religions, religious beliefs. Uh, I was a Jehovah's Witness. I grew up as a Jehovah's right. Witness. So I had a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, was animosity against right. actual structured religion. So it, 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 did. It took me a minute to actually be comfortable with the, with the God concept when I first came into the rooms. But it wasn't very long before, uh, I completely felt the presence of God in my life. And so spirituality became, you know, the, the foundation of my program. Uh, but yeah, even still talking about religion, I've talked about religion in my podcast many times, but never politics, especially now.
1: No. <laughs> now you are. There you go. Now you can be happy. It's like talking about
2: it. Somebody give some of these guys a program over there. You know, I mean, imagine <laughs> exactly. if they had to apply spiritual principles. Forget about uh, it.
1: <laughs> I mean, how, how many podcasts did he listen to to figure out that you never, you know, talk about it? <laughs> that's good. I mean, I guess that's good. Listen more. Listen yeah, more. Right. We'll never keep, know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep moving. All right. So, um, you know, that, that moves me on to my next question. I actually, one of my questions is how do you maintain your spiritual condition? So, uh, you know, how do you do that in your own daily routine?
1: Um, Well, that's definitely, (laughs) I I try hard to do that. Um, I definitely lack, and actually, my uh, sponsor kind of called me out on it a little bit last night that I'm working entirely too hard and not focusing enough on what's important and um, what got me here. I'm actually just learning about it. I mean, to be real honest, I, I, I have never had a real relationship with God. And at many times, especially in addiction, just not kind of feeling like there was, you know, maybe there was none because I was in such a deep, dark place. But I'm learning as I, I, it really has a lot to do with who you, who you surround yourself with. And I just listen, and I guess the main thing I do for my, re, my, my recovery is just listen to these.
2: It keeps you busy, it keeps you busy, yeah. so that's for sure. And there's always that spiritual connection you get, you know, one haddock helping another, there is that presence of God always. Right, oh yeah. And it, Which is curious, because the name of your website is Holy Addiction, so I was assuming that there was some sort of uh, spiritual context behind that.
1: Right, well, that's. I think it's an, a yearning is where that comes from, you know, um, just wanting that so badly, because you do see people that um, have it, and it's almost like they have a light inside of them, you know, and I've al- I have mean, that's always been attractive to me. At times it, was, it would make me angry, actually, but because I didn't have that. And I still don't, you know, have that. But I hope that I, I will. I'm definitely working on that.
2: So then when did this idea for Holy Addiction come into play? Like, when did you decide that you wanted to get uh, Vocal?
1: I just need. I was working. Um, I was doing a intensive outpatient program through Our Lady of Peace in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's a free program. And they told me that I needed to write. You know, they thought that that would help me. Um, was would be to write, and so I thought, well, you know, so someone mentioned, you know, maybe you should start a blog. You know, you don't have to share it with anybody. Just write what you want to write. And so I started off with just a little free blog, and I just as soon as I started writing, it was just like. I couldn't stop. You know, I just kept writing and writing and writing, and it was like all this stuff just came out. And people found it. I didn't even. I didn't share it with anyone. I didn't, it wasn't. At first, it was totally private, and then I decided to make it public, which was a scary step. And then someone, one person found it and they started sharing it. I had one article go viral. um, And when the Huffington Post contacted me and wanted to put one of my articles in their paper, I was like, oh, my gosh, I should start a Facebook page or, you know, and try to if if it's helping people this much, then I need to try to share it, you know, because I was making no effort to get it out there. And it was already had gotten so big. And so I purchased the domain and attached it to the free WordPress site, and um, it just took off from there.
2: That's incredible. That's HP, baby. That's what I yeah. like to say. There's, <laughs> yeah. no, there's no question about it. Uh, what you have to say, God is helping you get it out there. I personally believe that when something like that happens, it's it's a God shot.
1: Yeah. I mean, it had to be. It was just like, because there was no reason anyone should have found that. I don't even, I still don't know how they found it. <laughs> <laughs> it scared me really bad, actually, at first. <laughs>
2: It's wild. It's wild. Yeah. And you've got, you know, 9,425 likes that in, in six months, correct? Yes. Absolutely unbelievable. It's like mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, it's hard to get those, buddy.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I trust me, I know.
1: Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) I'm nowhere near there. Yeah, you work hard, boy.
2: That's what we have to do. I mean, idle time is the devil's workshop. So you have to stay busy. And this certainly keeps me busy. And I know it keeps you busy. And all the writing, I mean, the step work in and of itself is so therapeutic. So if you're constantly writing about addiction or on addiction, you know, different topics and it's just coming to you, then it, it's part of what needs to come out of you it's part of right. and, and then while it does that you know the healing effect on you it's a double benefit cuz you're helping yes. others and you're helping yourself at the very same time
1: yeah and just being able to own that stuff and not be ashamed of it is just so heal you know which that's in the steps you know that's one of the steps you know is um o- you know telling it owning it and saying you're sorry you know i mean so and so being able to just put it out there and just, you know, just own it, you know, no matter how bad it was, just admitting it and just going on.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Loud and proud.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: So tell us, Joanne, how much clean time do you have and when is your anniversary date?
1: Um, my, um, my anniversary date is actually uh, March 17th, but I don't even, I've never counted it up. <laughs> so it's not quite a year, Um. It's not quite a year. It's been because, I mean, you have to realize it's w- with suboxone and all that stuff. It's um, I mean, I'm still feeling the effects of it a little bit as far as um, the withdrawals and stuff. My body has not healed all the way.
2: Well, we're going to get into that as we close up in okay. your story, because that's all going to be in there. Um, so tell us first how old you were the first time you drank or used drugs. And more importantly, how did they make you feel?
1: Okay. Uh, the first time was, I was about 13 years old and, um, I smoked pot and drank at the the, the same time and, um, I couldn't talk, you know, I I mean, I, I just felt completely numb and it felt really good to be numb. It just felt really good to be numb, you know, and, and, you know, from that moment, on, I looked for it in some shape or form.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you're all warmed up. I think you're more than warmed up. So I'm going to turn (sighs) the show over to you, Joanne. Oh, gosh. It's (laughs) time. You're going to be fine. (laughs) You're going to be fine. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom and finally your journey into recovery up until today. So Joanne, take it away.
1: My addiction, even though I used at 13, you know, it's hard to get drugs when you're 13. So um, I use drugs periodically, off and on, but not any degree to an addiction. I wasn't actually until I was 25 years old that um, someone gave me a hydrocodone for a headache and... When I, when she gave me that pill, it was like she had given me God. Mm. She, uh, yeah, she, I mean, it was, I just couldn't believe how I felt. I mean, obviously the headache was gone and so was everything else, you know, whatever caused that headache was gone. I didn't, you know, it was, and we were at work, you know, and, um, it made any work that I had to do fun. It made, um, I had a, my son at that time was, um, a, I think in about first grade and, you know, it made doing the, you know, the hard stuff when, of being a parent, it made that stuff, you know, fine. It was okay. And, um, she obviously, I think she, you know, she did have an addiction at the time. So, um, as we went you know, the next day, I'm like, Hey, you know, i need another one of those <laughs> and she's like, and she's like okay you know and so she gave me another one and she, you know she gave me some for about a week and then after that of course you know i had to buy them and uh and that did but i honestly i swear i because they came from a doctor i thought they were okay i mean i knew that i probably shouldn't be buying someone else's prescription but um i never had any any clue you know, about physical dependency or any of that. And, um, so I was taken on for about a month and I didn't have any, and I didn't even really think much about not having any, you know, I was like, well, that sucks, but you know, and, uh, but I got sick and I had no idea that the two were related. Um, uh, so I called into work and, um, the girl that had get, was giving them to me, called me at home and, you know, she was at work and she was like, you know, what's wrong? And I told her, you know, like, oh, I gosh, just feel awful. But, you know, she's like, well, when's the last time that you took one of those pills? And I told her and she was like, well, you're going through withdrawal. I'm like, what, you know, what's, what do you mean? What's that? What is, I don't even know what withdrawal is. What's that? And you know, she kind of gave me a, the very uh, candy-coated uh, <laughs> explanation. <laughs> and uh, and in, instead of me just saying, "Oh my God, you know, you're horrible. Why would you do this to me?" and staying home and just getting over it, I ran up to work, and she gave me some more. And there we go. That's when I that then I knew what I was doing, and um, I was off and running. Yep. And, uh, I, and then I knew it literally, I mean, it was it's horrible because it's only 30 days in or so. Um, I, I was se- knowing that I was building this, you know, I don't think I really had a full, I didn't have the full scope understanding, but, um, because of course, you know, after 30 days of hydrocodone, you know, your withdrawals suck, but not, you know, what they end up being, um, uh, so I, so I kept going and, um, I went on for a couple of years. And of course, eventually, uh, the, the lower tabs where I was taking 10 of them at a time, you know, where in the beginning I could take one, um, and you know, you shouldn't even take more than eight of them a day because of the Tylenol in them, you know, you can overdose. Um, and I was taking 10 at a time, probably three times a day. Wow. Yeah. And I was a mom, you know, I was, um, and I was functioning. Um, I wouldn't go to the drug dealer's house with my kid or anything. But when he would go to school, I would. And um, we, you know, we were living our lives and I really didn't have any consequences um, until um, I switched over to oxycotton when all that wonderful stuff, happened, you know, when oxycotton became big. And I can remember I bought the first one for $5 and the very, the second one was 50 and that's when stuff got serious. Um, I was, uh, you know, taking my kid to school, um, working for an escort service. I ended up owning an escort service. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, um, and all while I'm looking like a soccer mom, you know, to the, you know, to the school and to uh, my husband and everyone else, and my parents had no, nobody had any clue you know, what I was doing and um I got arrested for prostitution. Um and had to call my husband. Oh Yeah.
2: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So you talk about some consequences. (laughs) There was some consequences for me. That was my first consequence. Um
2: heavy. Heavy.
1: Yeah, pretty heavy. Um, but he, you know, he was obviously not happy. Um,
2: oh, you got to tell us, you yeah. <laughs> know. So you're at, you're in, you're in jail. You're waiting for your husband. What oh went God. down?
1: It was horrible. I didn't even want to call him, uh, and I mean, the police were coming over. I, I mean, I guess it just looked like I really did not belong there. And I mean, there was guard after guard after guard coming up to me saying, "What in the world are you here for?" And then when they would hear what I was there for, they just could not believe it you know they're like what and um, so then I called my husband and um, he's like what well, what do you mean you know I mean because I'd never been arrested or you know I was literally like a soccer mom <laughs> I mean I think by this time my kids in maybe fifth grade or something something like that and um, and I, I said, told him I said prostitution I was like it's ridiculous of course I lied you know and I like, you like know, what in the world what are they thinking I, I was in a bad area and whatever Uh, but when I got home, um, I told him the truth of what had been going on and, you know, he was heartbroken and, um, you know, and that's when, um, you know, he's like, we have to figure out what, you know, what we're going to do, you know, this can't happen. And I was like, you know, I can't, I can't stop, you know, I get really sick and so someone had t- someone like a week or two beforehand had told me about methadone, the methadone clinic, and it, it just sounded like the most amazing. Like this is my, this is what's gonna save me. This is this is the answer. You know, I'm not gonna get sick. I'll be okay. Um, it's legal. I, you know, I won't get in trouble. It's it's expensive, but it's affordable. Um. Um, But most of all, it's not illegal (laughs) 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 and I won't get I won't get sick. Those are the two biggest things. And so I, you know, I started at the methadone clinic and um, and at first it was awesome. You know, I mean, it really it did change. You know, it did make my life better um, in lots of ways. Uh, But they, you know, they told me that I needed to I would need to be on it forever. And I, I believed that. And I do, you know, and I do think that some people do need to be on it forever. Um, But so I was on it and on it and I just, I wanted to come, I, I wanted to come off of it. And actually we wanted to, um, have a baby. Um, and I didn't, I know that women do have babies, um, on methadone, uh, especially if they're, maybe they're using heroin or whatever and they, um, want them to have a baby that, you know, isn't addicted to heroin when they're born. I don't know why that it's different, but they switch them over to methadone. And, um, so, I mean, I would see pregnant women, you know, at, at the clinic, but I just didn't want to do that. Um, so I, we actually weren't married at the time because we were, had been together, um, for 15 years when we got married. And so we had just gotten married and, um, And this is after the whole prostitution charge and all that. Um, So we had just gotten married, and I had been at the clinic for, I don't know, five or six years. And uh, I decided to come off of it so that I could get pregnant. Um, And it was horrific. But I, I will say that coming off of it was with the plan of getting pregnant, because I came off of it, and within a month, I was pregnant. And I think I was kind of on a baby high, Mm -hmm, and like literally, truly on a baby high. And I stayed clean for three years um, on that baby high. Um, And you mentioned, you know, staying busy is important for your recovery, and it's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I stayed home uh, for the first two years. And I can remember because my dad's in recovery, he's got, I think, might have 30 years now almost. and I can remember talking to him a couple of weeks before I relapsed and just telling him, dad, I don't know what's going on, but I just cannot stop like fantasizing, you know, about drugs, you know, about about taking pills or, um, and he was like, you just, you need to do something because I wasn't working any kind of recovery. Um, I just stopped and, um, the baby was my recovery. And as you can imagine, you can't wrap yourself into something like that. No, no. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, So I went to my grandma's house um, a week week or two later after telling him. And um, my grandparents' house was always a huge trigger for me because there were always tons of pills laying around. I mean, just so many. My grandpa didn't like taking them very well, very much. So he literally had a drawer with probably 200 bottles of hydrocodone
2: oh the- my god yes,
1: i know I, I mean like most of them were you know expired but that didn't matter who cares
2: yeah i was about to say <laughs> who cares yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. i'll take six
1: <laughs> yeah so i you know i went to, i went over there and he was actually in the hospital um for something so i went over I, I was very close to my grandma and i went over there to you know see her and she asked me to go get something out of his room and um I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get something out of his room. Okay. You know, so I got a bottle of those pills. Um, we were planning a uh, party at our house. And, you know, I, in my mind, my addict mind told me, well, you just, you need this to do the extra work that it's going to take, you know, to um, to put this party together. That's all. We'll just do it for this party. And that's it. That's it. Well, I I mean, I took those pills. They were gone before the party. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was back at my grandma's house, you know, to get another bottle. And um, so then I was off running again. And then this time I uh, ended up moving up to um, Opana. You don't know if you remember. I don't know even that they might still be out. I'm not sure.
2: I heard about, Uh, you know, who I interviewed um, Mishka Shabali.
1: Oh, yeah, really?
2: it's, It's the first time I heard of Opana. Yeah, and yeah, uh, it's mind blowing shit.
1: Yes, it is. I mean, that is one. Yeah, I mean, that's basically heroin. Pretty, you know, that's what that is. That's just synthetic I, heroin. I,
2: I heard it was, it was. It's more intense than the oxycontin.
1: Oh my god, yeah, it is. And the oxycontin was was very intense, and the withdrawal was horrific from oxycontin, and and the opana was even worse. I was on, only did the opana for a couple months, and I could just see that I was just going to head right straight. Right down the same road, you know, and I'd be making that phone call again. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. So I went back to the methadone clinic. And um, this time I stayed on methadone for, oh gosh, I say I'm real bad because I don't want to think about it. I didn't want to think about the stuff. So I'm real bad about keeping up with the dates. I know that I was on methadone, on maintenance program for all, about 15 years altogether. Oh. Um. Yeah. And so some point while I was on the methadone clinic, they told me that uh, they have this new drug, you know, it's called Suboxone. And you don't withdraw from it, you know, you can take it. And when you're done, you're done. You just walk away. You know, that's it. And, but it's 70 extra dollars a week. So I was like, you know, oh, my God, you know, I'll be able to finally kick this stuff, you know, I mean, because I was so scared of the methadone withdrawal. It was horif- horrific. I mean, I literally, it takes... Six months. You know, if you're scared of a heroin withdrawal, which is like, you know, 10 days, if you're not lucky, you know, eight days, if you're lucky, how in the world are you going to face a six month withdrawal? You know, um, and that's no joke. For the first month, I didn't sleep. You know, and people think that that's crazy, but I'm not joking. I mean, I if I if I got to close my eyes and rest my eyes for an hour or two, that was a gift.
2: Oh my God!
1: And that's what makes it so hard. Is I mean, it, it makes you feel literally crazy, <laughs> and I did feel crazy. And I was probably clean. I mean, I to trying to get clean. I was popping Xanaxes, trying to get drunk, anything I could to try to sleep because it was so
2: bad. But isn't the fact isn't when you take the Suboxone with Vicodin or volume or isn't isn't that almost like a recipe for like OD?
1: Well, they say that, but I guess it depends on your body, and it is. So I definitely don't re- recommend it for anybody. But everyone <laughs> <laughs> everyone's body is <laughs> different, you know and. I must have just a really strong tolerance because I was taking a tons of Xanaxes with the methadone tons. And I never withdraw. There was definitely moments that I was a little scared to go to sleep. um, But when I was, you know, actually taking I, I mean, I took for the whole 20 years, I used Xanax beside the pain pills. You know, I always took Xanax and I took a lot of Xanax and I functioned on it. My body has to be different because I've seen people on Xanax that can't hold their heads up. And that wasn't me. And especially taking two downers, I shouldn't have been able to walk, much less um, function. Where my family to, and especially when your family knows that you're an addict, you know, I mean, and you have addicts in your family, so it's not like they, you know, are just really normies and just have no clue, you know. Um, but I was able to actually function completely. I mean, and I think that's probably the hardest, one of the hardest things that my mom struggles with is because she never knew so now how does she how right. does she know now you know what's the difference you know how does she so she she can't trust now because she knows that i could be doing it and she'd never know but so then i so i switched for to boxing and paid the extra 70 dollars a week for a year and then decided i wanted to stop and that's when they told me that oh well we found out <laughs> Oh shit! You will have withdrawals, but they still tried to make it, you know, not as bad as is it, you know, as all that. Um, right. And it's not still not going to be as bad as methadone. But so then I went home after when they told me that I went home and googled it, and oh my gosh, the videos on YouTube and you know, if people you know, video diarying their um, experience with uh, suboxone withdrawal, you know, men crying grown men crying on the camera, um, you know, a couple of days in, um, you know, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I paid $70 extra a week for exactly the same thing pretty much. And actually I think it might be almost, I mean, for me, it might be almost worse because, um, I went all the way down to, I mean, the sli- tiniest sliver of, I mean, of anything of the Suboxone and I did it for an entire month that I paid the same price as if I would have got a ton of many milligrams. Um, they said it was one milligram is what I was taking a day. And I did that for a month and the withdrawal was still exactly the same as the methadone, except for it's even longer because I'm almost a month, I mean a year now and I still am not right. You know, like I can still, I mean, I'm pretty much out of it. I can tell that I'm, I'm, I'm almost there, you know, but, um, for me to still be thinking that I'm feeling it at all is just horrible. You know, I mean, it's almost March, it's almost a year and, um, I can still feel, you know, I, I can still feel it.
2: Well, you know, I, I told a friend of mine, the, the same friend of mine, I mean, it's almost like I'm listening to, to your story through his, uh, well, I mean, vice versa. But anyway, bottom line was, is I, he would say the same stuff and I'm like, dude, you, you punished yourself for what, 20 years how many? How many years between the heroin and the oxycontin and the suboxone oh. and the methadone? I mean, how many years is yeah, it?
1: Fifteen for for me. For me, it was twenty years. Twenty years.
2: Yeah. Tw- okay. So twenty years, yeah. and I mean, we're we're talking about some of the most horrific drugs yes. out yes. there, and you survived yeah. it, right? And you're like, well, you know, I'm still feeling some of the effects. So after you, I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I, I hear you.
1: Understand why? I just want people to understand. <laughs> tell, right? People come to me. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy about Suboxone and methadone and, you know, and then there's also the PC thing about it where, you know, you want to make sure because it it definitely is an option, you know, and it saves people. It does save people's lives because at least they're not, you know, putting a needle in their arm. At least they're not, you know, going to die.
2: Right, 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 right
1: but i have when whenever anyone comes and talks to me about suboxone or methadone i always tell them you know that's a great idea if you're okay with being on it for the rest of your life because the the statistics of people coming off of either one of those drugs and staying off of it are not good i mean as bad as they are for opiates they're Twice as bad for sub you know suboxone and methadone right. because for obvious reasons if if it's so hard to come off of heroin and all they have to face is ten days how are they going to face six months you know nine months correct uh, you know so and and I do believe that there are some people that do need to be on it forever you know uh, because they just are chronic relapsers and they you know when they do relapse they just go full force. Um, and that's when people are dying too, you know, is when they do relapse, uh, because they don't, you know, they think that they're especially on heroin because they think that they're getting what they got last time or that they can take as much as they did last time. And they're not even getting heroin. Now they're getting fentanyl or, you know, car fentanyl or whatever.
2: That's the craziest stuff that, that stuff in and of itself is just terrifying. The, the heroin fentanyl cocktail. Oh my God.
1: It's very prevalent. I mean, I, that's that's what I do all day is deal with um, heroin addiction, with people with heroin addiction, and try to change the way people feel about people who have an addiction to heroin. And it's – I mean, we've got people that are going into drug court and – they just used out in the parking lot they think they used heroin out in the parking lot and they go into drug court and they're getting to walk right out of drug court because they the courts aren't testing for fentanyl so they didn't have any heroin in their system they thought they did but it was all fentanyl um we had a school here in kentucky where they drug tested 62 middle schoolers who thought that they had just smoked pot um, it basically got out to the parents and stuff that, you know, there was a lot of pot smoking going on in the school. So they did a drug test to try to find out who all was doing it. 62 kids who thought that they had only smoked pot tested positive for cocaine and fentanyl.
2: Oh, my God.
1: I don't know if they were smoking spice or and they were putting it on there, but they say that they're cutting everything with fentanyl, even speed, which makes no sense to me because you don't uh, you know fentanyl is a downer right. you know so but i guess the point for the for the dealer is that it hooks them you know if, if they can physically hook them
2: absolutely
1: not just mentally Then they're, you know that's a guaranteed customer um
2: plus it's a speedball you know what i mean
1: yeah see i, I was all downer uh, but, <laughs> but 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 the same the, actually though for me opiates was a speed You know, um, it made me have energy. It made me want to go do this and want to go do that. You know, Um, so I guess I kind of did speedball, really. Um, You know, because obviously the Xanax was the the downer, and the but the pain pills for me was like speed. You know, and I always say that if you take a pain pill, if the doctor gives you a pain pill, you're not an addict, and it feels like you're gonna fall asleep, then you're probably not an addict. (laughs) (laughs)
2: that's fantastic
1: I'm serious I mean everybody that I've ever met and obviously you know doing being addicted to pain meds you know I knew a lot of people addicted to pain meds and every single one of them got the same sensation that I did which was you know a rush a speed and so and then I run into people that say are you how can you take that you know it makes me fall straight to sleep you know, just one. I'm like, well, that's because you're not an addict. <laughs> right,
2: right, right. Well, it's very similar. It's the it's same with me. For me, I was not a downer person. I was a I was a cocaine guy, right? guys. I didn't like being stoned. I didn't like right. being down. I needed to be, as soon as I discovered cocaine, I was off to the races. Right. And then I discovered years later on that I have ADD. So it's kind of like the riddling. Right. The, right. the Ritalin does the same, you know, for some people, taking Ritalin is the same, has the same effect as, as doing cocaine. Right? right. And, and if you don't have, if you don't have ADD, but for me, because I had the ADD, it kind of at first, it leveled me out. Right. Like I was like, wow, this is fantastic. I feel like this amazing new person and I can talk <laughs> yes. to everybody and I feel <laughs> exactly. so good and I'm brilliant. And <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like that drug, that new, that brain drug, right? <laughs>
2: Oh, how quickly it turns!
1: Oh, yes, it does. It does.
2: Yes, it does.
1: But then I, when I, when I came into this community, and I actually started into this community because I have a family member that was, because I thought I was in recovery. You know, once that when, when I was on Suboxone, you know, and Methadone, I thought that was recovery, and um, I took Xanaxes with all of that up until, because um, I, you know, I say that I have a year. Sometimes I say that I have a year clean, and that's because I was counting. Part of when I stopped taking the Xanax is with the Suboxone, (laughs) but no, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it sounds better. (laughs) Sure does. Uh, But then when I figured it, when I got into this community and learned that okay, some people don't think that you (laughs) are clean if you're taking Suboxone, so I had to kind of start over. But this the community on in Facebook really gave me the strength and courage to just do it, you know. And I, I mean, I was. I was comfortable. I was going to stay on it forever. Period. You know, I was going to be on it forever. I was upset with anyone that questioned it with, you know, I was just like, look, this is what it is. My next step is heroin. I'm not coming off of it. I need the safety rope or so, you know, I, I need this. I, I, if not, you know, and the next step is heroin um, because every time, you know, I, cre- I increased whatever I did. And coming into this community and just seeing other people, so many other people that have done it, so many other people that have found success and all the support that I had. And, you know, I just it, it and then because it did that for me, now it gives me faith that it can do it for other people, too. You know, so I really want to make sure that there's always someone there. Um, for whoever funds the community, um, to you know, so that they can be um, inspired to do whatever it is they need to do in their life with addiction, and you know, and and also we deal with a lot of families, and we try to work, we do, we try really, really hard to change the way the family members feel about their family members, you know, because that's a huge part too.
2: It's like unbelievable. So you got to tell us how you, I mean, like you've been clean since March, right? Right. So, what was it like when you finally kicked it? Like, what did you, what was it like the first month?
1: It was hell. It was hell. Literal hell.
2: Now walk us through it. Walk us through it.
1: I mean, it, I mean, every day was, you know, it, it didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was going to and, I, and I, mind you, I was getting online every day and still working, you know, online with my pages. And because um, I had other pages, i had heroin news and I actually sold that page. You know, I was constantly online trying to um talk to other people, you know, spread awareness. And but I could barely hold my head up. You know, I mean, it it was so hard. That's the only good thing that came out of the um, insomnia was that, you know, there were always people online uh, 24 hours a day. Um, So at least I had someone to talk to because in the past, you know, when I came off of methadone before, um, there was nobody at two o'clock in the morning, you know, and that those were the nights were just scary real scary.
2: What were the symptoms like? Was it like sweating and vomiting and like what?
1: Like stomach flu symptoms, um, aches and pains. I mean, the bath is your best friend, you know, because you're just in so much pain and the restless leg syndrome, um, not being able to sleep, which is the worst, you know, not ever being able to stop thinking about it because just knowing in your head that you feel so, so bad and that it's going to be six months before you feel better. And knowing that all you have to do is go down the street and get a pill and it'll be better. I mean, it's pretty hard. I mean, if even someone that had the flu and you told them that they had to go wherever and get this one pill and it'd be better, it'd be pretty hard for them not to do it.
2: Correct. <laughs> you know? Correct.
1: Yeah. So that – it was just really hard. But it, it I was going to the um, intensive outpatient program, so that helped. So that was non – in the morning till 12 in the afternoon, and I made myself walk. It was about two miles from my house, and I would, um, I got a ride there, but, and I had a car, uh, but I, the walking helped the restless leg syndrome so much. So I would walk home every day from the intensive patient out, you know, outpatient program. And it was hard, you know, some of it's uphill. And it was, I mean, sometimes I'm sure driving by me, people probably thought that, Oh my God, this poor woman, you know, she might need a ride. I don't know. But I, it really helped me kind of push through um, because it helped my legs so much. And the restless leg syndrome is just awful laying in bed and your legs are literally kicking on their own and you can't control it.
2: Oh, sounds miserable.
1: Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> I don't I, I don't look I do not miss any of that. That's for sure. <laughs> Nor do I want to go back. <laughs> I don't ever want to do it. I've, did it too, I've done it too many times. I don't want to do it again.
2: That's for sure. Oh, man. And so what about, um, tell us about your meeting attendance, you know, your recovery. Like right after that, I mean, I'm sure you had to jump headfirst into into your recovery.
1: Well, I, it's, it's funny because I um, the intensive outpatient program is only supposed to be six weeks. But if you um, missed a certain amount of days or got in trouble or whatever, you know, you'd get kicked out but then you could re-sign back up so i did that three times on purpose (laughs) like i even i told the you know the counselor that led the iop i'm like okay so how many you know i told her at the beginning i'm gonna need more than six weeks period six weeks is a joke i'm still gonna be in heavy withdrawal when that's over so i'm gonna you know she's like well if you miss two days without being excused you know you will have to just charge you and, uh, you can, but you can come back in two days and sign back up. So that's what I did. I did it three times. So I did, um, 24 months or 24 weeks in the program instead of six. And then, um, they had meetings at, at night and I did, you know, I did all those. And, um, then I pretty much have switched to completely online meetings. Um, I don't go to any, I don't have my home groups online. My sponsor is online. She lives in, and an, you know, wait, I've never met her before in person. I'm hoping to do that in um, March. They're having a huge rally in uh, Portsmouth, Portsmouth, or something like that, Ohio, and all of the recovery advocates from uh, online are going to be there. And uh, so I'm hoping to. Actually, meet her then. <laughs> but you know, uh, I'm trying to. We're trying to create a way that we can have people because there's a lot of people that can't go to meetings for whatever reason, right? You know, Absolutely, they don't, they don't a car or uh-huh. they don't have meetings in their community, right? And uh, so we're trying to build that for them online. And so I'm trying to use it too, um, you know. And if it works for me, then hopefully it can work for other people.
2: Which is the ones that you're using?
1: The group that I like the most is called um, New Age Recovery, and then. I use aa.org, .org, and then there's NA .org, and then there's SmartRecovery .com.
2: These are awesome.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, then the, and they're actually really, really good, and and it's really neat because you get p- people from all over the world. You know, I mean, sometimes there's people. You know, there's one woman in my um, home group that's from Scotland. She lives in Scotland, and she's there every week. You know, she's she gets online every week and attends this meeting. You know, and it's it's really neat.
2: Well, there's there's so much need for it because uh, in many cases, especially in, in my Facebook group, there's a lot of people that are very apprehensive about going to meetings or they go to a meeting and they get turned off or whatever the case may be. And in their particular community, there's very limited amounts of meetings. Yes. Like me being in Costa Rica, going in a predominantly Spanish-speaking country, finding English-speaking is not that easy even oh, though no yeah and, and we have good fellowships here right we have we have some good fellowships but it's not like california for example where right. you have thousands of meetings you know and there's one every hour okay you know it's
1: how it is here in kentucky actually it's, it's amazing enough i mean there's a lot of meetings here you know i mean
2: okay so u.s in general yeah uh, right the, there's big especially in the big cities there's pockets where you can go to tons and tons of meetings right oh yeah but for some people right it's just it's more convenient and i i think the idea behind it like for some people is still um, hard to grasp Right. Yeah, because they want is. that physical, you know, they feel like, you You know, it's so old school. Right. Right. And, you know, open mindedness, you know, honesty, open mindedness and willingness. <laughs> right.
1: It's important. And, you know, one of the things yeah, it does say in the big book, you know, that we we shouldn't be so anonymous that, you know, the alcoholic can't find us. Right. You know, so, you know, we have to step out some no matter what you know, and our whole hope is just that, you know, through hearing our stories, that it will open the minds and hearts of other, you know, of the normies, and that it'll make the people that are using, you know, that are using, not be ashamed of it and realize that they can find recovery. And then the people that are in recovery and hiding, you know, in the basements of some church somewhere, um, that they realize that, you know what, you know, I'm not so bad, you know, I'm just like that person, I can... I can come out and I can own this and uh, maybe someone will learn from me, you know, and that's, you know, that's what we we're really trying to do. I mean, that's what you're trying to do. You know, I mean, that's the whole reason for, to share your story publicly.
2: Absolutely. No question about it. That is what we do and how we do it. So tell us, Joanne, what is the best way for our listeners to find you, your website, social media? How can they find you the best way?
1: Uh, the best way is definitely Facebook. Better than calling me is, is Facebook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hear ya. That's where I live is on Facebook. That's where my work is. That's where my friends are. That's where my recovery is. On Facebook, you would find me at, um, at Holy Attic with the Facebook symbol. Um, and then you would find me on Twitter um, at Holy Addict again, and then uh, but the name of it's um, Holy Addiction. <clears throat> My website is um, HolyAddiction dot org, and um, I also have heroinbulletin.com, dot com, which I have a Facebook page too for Heroin Bulletin. And what that is is uh, where it's basically like a news. Um, I I try to get all the stories about heroin and opiate addiction and and opiate recovery in one place on Facebook so that, you know, the people that are running other pages, um, they can kind of come there and look for it. And I kind of do the hard work for them and find the stories and then they could just come pick them off of my page or my website. So that's what the hope is there that just to make it as easy as possible for people to share those stories, um, because it's a lot of work to find them all, but thank God for Google alerts. (laughs) I've got that. I've got that set up now. I've got a friend that um, is helping me with my um, the technical stuff, and he's set it up to where the Google alerts just post right to my Facebook page. <laughs> so it's a whole new world now. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. so, it's.
2: I mean, everything is instantaneous. Absolutely yeah. instantaneous. Everything's. You know, and that's another beautiful thing about recovery today. It's that if you want help, you can find it instantly.
1: It's right. And that's what we're hoping. And that's another thing, you know, when some when people are using we have just these moments of clarity and that's that's the perfect You know that's that's what they say, and it's the perfect phrase for it because that's exactly what it is. You have these moments where you can actually see your life for how bad it is. You know, they sometimes they're fleeting. You know, they only let and you or you try to push them away really fast. But if you can catch someone in one of those moments, and you know they find something on Facebook or whatever, you want them to be able to reach out right then. And maybe they can't jump in a car and go to a meeting. Maybe it's two o'clock in the morning when they have that feeling. You know, maybe it's there are no meetings. You know, so. Um, I just think that the online community is definitely huge. Now, don't get me—I think that the real, live, face-to-face meetings are huge too. That's important. You know, some people can't. Just like we can't learn all the same way. We don't all recover the same way. You know, so um, for some people. It's just more feasible to do it online. For some people, they have to do it face-to-face. They just could never do it online. Um, you know, some people can't deal with meetings, and they do it on their own. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different ways. You know, Some people can do it just with church.
2: Well, there is, there is that God element there.
1: Exactly, and I don't care how you do it, just as long as you do it.
2: <laughs> oh man, what an amazing, amazing story you have! I, I, I go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I just said thank you.
2: <laughs> I want to meet your husband.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's my ex-husband now. <laughs>
2: oh God, I, I'm still, I'm still amazed that you guys got married. Yeah, we did. You know, did. like holy cow, like. I'm just trying to picture his face picking you up in uh, jail for. Oh, I oh my god, my it's hard to even say it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And and here's the cool thing about being an addict. It's almost like once we get, it's not almost like it is like you yeah. get clean, and everything you did is somebody else. It really, it's really another person because yeah. I can't imagine doing the things that I did back when I was using. Yeah, me neither. It's horrible. You go there and you're like, how did that even how did that happen? Like <laughs> well, you know, so so you have to and, and so once you work the steps it becomes so much it's a comfort. It's a comfort yeah. because we're we're not, you know, bad people, right? right? We're just sick people trying, you know, to get well. Exactly. And, and so once we find our way, then it's not this horrible, but, you know, it's not this horrible uh, moral failing. Right, exactly. And we can give ourselves a break, but more importantly, we can share openly about it because people, I mean, you're not the only one. No. You know, our listeners are going to hear this and go, I've been there. I totally get it. And bravo, you know, that Joanne can get up and share her story for those of us who can't. For those right. of us who 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 can't get up and and share that part of their story, the the veil of shame is lifted. Right? Yes, we, we don't have it to. Is. The, there isn't. It, it's gone because we're 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 not responsible for our addiction. We're only responsible for our recovery. So yes, I applaud you.
1: Well, thank you so much. I mean, and that's you know I, I struggled with being able to share that, but I literally just last week a general a man, shared his story, and he's a very prominent man in our community. And you would never guess. um, And he shared his story and he admitted that he had um, sold himself, you know, for for heroin. And it touched me so deeply. You know, I was just like, oh, my gosh, if he can do that, I can do it. You know, um, so it really is important that we all tell the truth about, you know, how far we went and where it took us and, you know, where we are now and how much better we actually are, because I never thought that I would be anything more than a waitress. You know, and thanks to RJV and Reliance um, and Recovery Radio FM, I have a chance to, you know, own my own company and um, make money that I never thought I would make and do all while doing exactly what I would what I would be doing if, they, if I wasn't being paid. I would be doing it for free, you know, so that what a gift is that and it, it's just there is you can get better and you can do things that you had no idea you could do once you once you do.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we are going to start to wind down. And uh, the way we do that is I'm going to ask you some questions about your early recovery for the newcomer. Are you ready? Okay. Sure. Excellent. Let's do this. So first of all, number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery?
1: I was just scared of withdrawal. I was scared of withdrawal and I, I, I was scared of what life would be like without the warm fuzzies that the drugs gave, I thought that the drugs were giving me, you know, but mainly, you know, with, with opiate addiction, it's you're literally your whole addiction is running away from that withdrawal.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. And number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover?
1: When I was arrested for prostitution.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if, that isn't, yeah, if that isn't a white light moment, I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's uh, Yeah, that's one of those things uh, you never forget. No. No. <laughs> um, and number three, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery?
1: And I do, and it's actually kind of an odd book, but it's um, – the um, adult um, addict, adult children of an alcoholic, a lot of us in recovery, you know we obvi- most of us used to cover up pain of, in some of some sort. And many of us, our parents used, uh, many of us they didn't, but uh, you know even if our parents didn't use, their parents may have used. Um, so maybe they you know their own the addicts parents, are adult children of alcoholics or whatever, but I read the adult children of, Al- of alcoholics book and it, it was just really powerful for me. You know, um, I would definitely, anyone, especially if your are ch- if your parent was an alcoholic, needs to definitely read it. And I can't think of the name of the author, but it's a really popular book, um, in recovery world. Um, but it was just really, it, it helped me to understand myself, you know, how I might've c- Fell into addiction, and that's important, you know, for us to, because a lot we beat ourselves up so much.
2: Oh yeah, about,
1: you know, and for if, if we can, you know, forgive ourselves for make, making that first choice, then, um, you know, we can let go of it. I think.
2: No question about it. Um, now, you know what I didn't ask you about is your dad. Your dad's got how much time clean? I think
1: he's got about twenty nine years. Ago. He's getting ready to have thirty. Wow. Yeah.
2: That's amazing. You know, what is your relationship like with your dad today?
1: Oh, it's really good. I mean, and because he's worked the steps and all that, you know, I have someone, you know, RJ always says that you can't, you you know, Reliance treats the whole family, not just the addict. And, And he says that's because you can't take your kid away and teach them French and then send them back home. And, you know, now the kid speaks French uh, because, you know, the family is still speaking English. And uh, so you have to treat the whole family. And it's nice to have someone else speaking French, you know, in the, in the house. <laughs> Not in the house, in the, in the family.
2: <laughs> oh, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. So number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received?
1: Probably to get in the car with nobody else and turn a song on that you really like and just enjoy you you know kind of almost like a meditation you know uh, to look at the grass feel the grass you know feel the wind get outside we're all in a rush you know none of us take time to do the important things you know just to enjoy just ourselves you know Um, I think that's probably a big thing
2: beautiful Beautiful. All right. And then number five, if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would that be?
1: Don't give up. You know, at first, it's, it's, good. it's like, just like I said, it's like French, you know, at first, you're not going to understand what any of these people, you're gonna think everyone's crazy, <laughs> uh, you know, and what language are they speaking? And, you know, but if you just give it some time, and I don't want to say fake it till you make it because... Uh, Uh, But just if you just give it some time and just listen, you know, you just have to really listen and you're going to hear your story and um, get a sponsor and um, work hard on the steps. But the main thing is just don't give up.
2: Don't give up. Great suggestions, Joanne. Oh, man. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
2: I absolutely loved your story beautiful thank
1: you so much and you're definitely going to come on the
2: page right and
1: tell Uh, your story
2: listen just uh, schedule me in i'm in i'm in we're we're gonna right after this interview we're gonna do it (laughs) all right awesome (laughs) all right folks we've now reached the end of our show thanks for joining us and as we say here in costa rica pura
0: vida pura vida!